The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The sower goes out to sow. I'm just a boy from the suburbs, not a farmer, but I dare say I'm not sure he's doing it right. Seed is costly, precious stuff. So you want to be careful where you plant it. You've got your field, your designated space you've prepared for cultivation. It's plowed and furrowed and ready. So you're going to walk the furrows and plant the seeds in a way that's efficient, orderly, and promises the best bang for the buck. Not this guy, though. He's flinging seeds all over the place. Some of it lands on the path where the dirt's been stomped into concrete and the birds swoop in for a meal. Some of it falls on rocky ground outside the borders of the field, and the sun rises and scorches the plants because the seedlings have no root. Elsewhere off the field, the rocks are few, but the thorns have prospered, and they're happy to overcome the seedlings and choke them out. Finally, though, some seed falls on good soil. Finally, there, things work the way you expect and hope them to work. 
planted on that carefully cultivated earth, the sower gets the payoff he's been looking for. A single grain produces a lot more grain, 30 or 60 or a hundredfold. Now, cheapskate that I am, it's tempting to wish this guy was a little bit more disciplined. He's throwing seeds around like he's got a limitless supply. And he strikes me as one of those optimists who says, you never know. One of those seeds might find a crack in the rocks and take root despite the scorching sun. And if it does, I'll keep an eye on it and add it to the harvest. I'm not sure that's a great quality in a farmer who will have enough work to do within the borders of his field. But it is an excellent quality in a savior. Jesus explains the parable point by point so you know for sure what's going on with this one. He's going about proclaiming his word of the kingdom, his word that gives life and salvation. As he speaks, people hear. And as you hear in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 55, his word is always effective, always at work. In other words, it doesn't strike some ears with saving power, but other ears with no effect. Whenever his word is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is at work to save. But if that's the case, then why isn't everybody saved who hears? Well, one reason is that while Jesus is busy sowing his word, the evil one is snatching it away. The devil is always busy distracting people from God's word with some sort of temptation or another. He lures with some seductive temptation so that sinners turn away to death, or he haunts them with fears so that they run from the word without pondering God's mercy, or he just befuddles their minds so that they just don't think that grace and salvation are matters worth pondering. He's very skilled at what he does. Satan has been deceiving people since the Garden of Eden, and he's far too much for you and me to resist. But Jesus is the Savior who has defeated him at the cross. His word is still powerful, and the Holy Spirit is at work. It's not like Jesus versus Satan is a match of equals, where Jesus is going to win some and lose some. The devil shouldn't stand a chance. But sinners are often so used to enslavement that they're happy to cooperate in their own demise. Another reason that not all believe is trouble or persecution on account of the word, says Jesus. Sometimes people hear the word, rejoice in the news, and want to add the faith into their life experience. But then they become aware that there's a cost to following Jesus and that they will face suffering for doing so. If the word hasn't taken root, if their faith hasn't strengthened, they're going to abandon it when trouble comes along. It's easy to read this parable and think that Jesus is merely talking about those who are new to the faith just as persecution arises. But Jesus is also speaking of those who have spent decades in congregations, but have failed to feed their faith with a constant diet of his word, or have failed to conform their lives to it with repentance and obedience. Should persecution come, 
plenty of veteran churchgoers will prove to be rootless and fade away as well. No matter how prepared you think you are for whatever lies ahead, never trust that you're prepared enough and continue to grow in faith. The third reason that not all believe is that some hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Discontent is a huge attack on faith. There will be those who lack in the world, whether it be a lack of health or wealth or goods or friends or whatever, and that lack will either make them neglect the word because they are too busy pursuing what they don't have, or paradoxically, they'll just give up and stop trying to merit anything at all. There will be those who have an abundance in this world, and that will make them neglect the word because there is always more to buy, more to do, more things and experiences to add to the collection. Either way, sinners will use lack or abundance as a reason to neglect God's word. In fact, sinners will use any reason to neglect God's word. That's the curse of original sin. People are predisposed to say, whatever God is giving for my good, no thank you. It's really a wonder that anyone believes at all. That's why it's such a joy that after the birds and the trouble and the thorns, we read of seed that falls on good soil. Despite the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature, the word takes root. People believe. Confident of God's grace and favor, they bear fruit as his beloved children. When Jesus tells this parable, he speaks to a crowd on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know the composition of this crowd, but Jesus tends to attract the downtrodden and repel the hypocrites. Galilee is known as Galilee of the Gentiles for a reason, so the crowd is not likely just his fellow Jews. And being this far from Jerusalem with Samaria in between, it's going to be easy for those in the crowd to feel like the also-rans of God's chosen people. Not only that, but they're constantly under assault by the devil. Quite obviously, as demon possession appears widespread at the time, they're always subject to suffering at the hands of the Roman occupiers or the legalistic Pharisees, and they have their share of cares in the world. In other words, Galilee doesn't look like a promising mission field. If God were to show up and gather his people, you'd think the easy pickings route would be to hang around the temple down in Judea and grab the best and the brightest there. But God is there in Galilee. He is there in the flesh in Galilee, teaching them from a boat just offshore. He is the sower who is spreading his word to anyone and everyone, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, rich, poor, old, young, all. He sows it among those tormented by the evil one, and some hear his word and turn from the devil's distractions by the work of the Holy Spirit. He sows it among those facing persecution, 
and they see that the joy of the kingdom of heaven far outshines submitting to the false gods of empires or false faiths of man. He sows his word among those occupied with the cares of the world and even the deceitfulness of riches. And sometimes the word takes root there too. And when the word takes root, the soil is good and the harvest is plentiful. The sower doesn't just plant crops, but he clears fields. He gathers the rocks and suffers them himself at the hands of Romans and Pharisees. He weeds out the thorns and wraps them around his head to carry them away because his hands are full hauling a cross. He drives birds away. In my mind's eye, it is not unlikely that there are vultures circling Calvary on that Friday waiting for carrion, but they are sorely disappointed on Sunday when there is no body to be found even inside the tomb. I might be becoming a bit too fanciful with the imagery of the crucifixion, perhaps, but the point is that the sower doesn't just throw the seed around and wait to see what happens. He dies so that the harvest might be plentiful, and so that his people might bear fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The fashionable way to preach this text when I was growing up was for the preacher to read the parable and say, Now, what kind of soil are you? After which he'd actually make you feel like dirt by telling you how bad you were at keeping your eyes on Jesus because you were letting yourself be led astray by temptation or tribulation or worry. Instead, I will pose this question to you. Wouldn't it be great if you were only subject to temptation or tribulation or worry at any one time? The truth is that you are always under attack by the evil one who magnifies the tribulations that you face even as he bludgeons you with the cares of the world and seduces you with its pleasures. So if we must ask, what kind of soil are you? Well, apart from Christ, remember you are dust, and to dust you will return. But you are not apart from Christ, the Word made flesh, who continues to sow his word. You are well watered already, for you have been washed with living water at the font. And now, by his word and his supper, Christ sustains and strengthens your faith. Fields and gardens are always under attack by encroaching thorns and scorching sun, and there will be no respite until the harvest. But stalks of grain don't fight off the foes. The sower does. What great joy that the sower tends to his garden, that your Savior continues his presence with you in his means of grace. When tempted by the devil, you have Christ's word as your protection. And when you give in to temptation, you're sure of Christ's forgiveness. Confronted by tribulation and the cares of this world, you know that the Lord has overcome this world. He has died and he is risen, and he is risen again with far more than a hundredfold harvest. It includes you among saints as many as the stars of the sky. 
Hear with your ears and receive this word with joy, and by it be rooted and nourished. The Lord has given you ears most of all, so that he might put his word into them. Take heart, my friends. The harvest is coming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.